Thanks for clicking play on the latest episode of the Iowa Revolution podcast. I'm Spencer Dirks alongside Dr. Bob Leonard. Dr. Bob, how you doing? Great, thank you. Episode 26 already, Dr. Bob. Holy moly. Can you believe it? No. So that means we're about halfway through the year. We've only missed, I think, two weeks. So yeah, we're halfway through a year, six months. Yeah, I was in Okaboji one time and I forget what the other one was. My dog died. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Sorry about that. That's all right. So yeah, we had some pretty good reasons to miss the last few times, the only two times that we've missed so far. Got a lot of stuff to talk about, so let's get right to it. We're going to be talking about Cedar Rapids schools. I don't know if you had seen, but they closed today, Monday, due to a threat. AI is taking all of our water, not only in Iowa, but throughout the nation. So our campaign against AI continues on the Iowa Revolution podcast. Iowa legislators helped avoid a government shutdown, so that's one good thing that the Republicans have done from the state of Iowa. We'll talk about your busy weekend. You saw Trump in Ottumwa at the Bridgeview Center. You also went to the Polk County Steak Fry, and you also talked to, was it the Dallas County Democrats? Yeah, Dallas County. So we'll recap Dr. Bob's travels. Trump organization trial begins today as we're recording on Monday, so we'll discuss that a little bit. The second Republican debate happened last week. I didn't watch much of it, to be quite honest, but I did read a little bit about it and kind of took a look at what the polls looked like after that second debate. We also have a couple things of good news this week. And you challenged me to pick the top five best novels set in Iowa, and I've only read one of the novels. (laughs) Well, you better get to work. I do need to get to work, and they're all pretty much on my reading list, except eh, we'll get to that later on. So let's just go ahead and start, and this is not necessarily something we have to discuss totally, but the Cedar Rapids schools closed today, Monday, due to a threat. This is from KCRG-TV. The Cedar Rapids Community School District has closed all schools on Monday, October 2nd. The closure is due to a threat made on social media that is under investigation. In an email to families and staff, the Cedar Rapids School District said, quote, We understand that the news of school closure due to a threat made on social media by an unidentified person may concern you. We assure you that the safety and well-being of our students, staff, and community is paramount to us. Our dedicated team at CRCSD and the Cedar Rapids Police Department, in conjunction with state public safety agencies and the FBI, has been working over the last 24 hours to investigate this threat. There probably will be more news as we're recording this. They were set to have a press conference to discuss this further this afternoon. But, I mean, this hits pretty close to home. I grew up in Marion, which is, I grew up less than a half mile away from the Cedar Rapids-Marion border. So, to see all of the schools shut down in Cedar Rapids, I can't testify to this, but I would imagine that that's unprecedented. Yeah, it's it's terrible. Kids in fear at school. It's, um, I don't know, we just don't seem to care that much about it. I know that our law enforcement is, you know, ready to go in and I'm comfortable that, you know, we have, you know, school resource officers here that we know and I could see how that could be a problem in bigger communities, but I feel safer because we have good law enforcement there, but we shouldn't have to. Schools shouldn't be, you know, under threats like that. And they're just such a soft target. There's, you know, too much access um, by people that shouldn't have guns to guns. And it's just a contemporary American tragedy. And I did hear on WHO News uh, on, on their radio this morning that it was 
a, a racially motivated attack, that it may be a kid that was going to be targeting students and people of color in the school district. And again, that was from WHO. I can't say that that's true or not, but I don't think that they would say that whether or not they actually had some source to, to be able to prove that. So that's another wrinkle to this that is just sad and devastating. Yeah, it's the price of living in America. Right. Yeah. And then to make matters even worse, there was a, a mass shooting at a party in Omaha. So just right across the border in Nebraska, one person was killed, five others were injured at a after you know an after hours party, teenage party. And what was that, page four of the newspaper? Yeah, I didn't even know about it until right before we came to record this, basically. It hardly made any news at all. And again, that's just right next door to us. And it's also just about a year after another party in, in Omaha, right around the same area, that another student died. Another kid died in that shooting. And another, I think, eight students were injured, all teenagers. Yeah, sad. So let's move on to AI. So it's taking all of our water. This is from futurism.com. Microsoft's data centers in West Des Moines, Iowa, guzzled massive amounts of water last year. The Associated Press reported earlier this month to keep cool while training OpenAI's ChatGPT4, the Microsoft-backed company's most advanced publicly available large language model. Critics point out a further inconvenient detail. This happened in the midst of a more than three-year drought further taxing a stressed water system that's been so dry this summer that nature lovers couldn't even paddle canoes in local rivers. Quote, it's a recipe for disaster. That's from Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement organizer Jake Grobe. He told Futurism, quote, chat GPT is not a necessity for human life, and yet we are literally taking water to feed a computer, end quote. Before the AI boom, arid places like Arizona were already facing water strain from data centers. But what will the future hold, both in those regions and in relatively water-flush areas like Iowa, as a result of the sudden increased demand for AI, combined with the growing impact of climate change? Well, they're going to be ghost towns someday. I mean, it's pretty inevitable for places like Phoenix. Maybe not so much Tucson, Las Vegas, and we're just, you know, going along like it's, you know, no big deal. We are. We don't like to look into the future. We don't like to look into the past. We just like to to look into what's happening around us today and don't anticipate, don't plan, don't appreciate the past. It's just sort of human nature. And then, you know, someday in Phoenix, they're going to turn on the tap and there's not going to be any there and there's not going to be any coming. Yeah, and, and we won't be prepared. And it's already starting to happen in those places, like you said. And not only that, but we've been hearing for years that it's, I believe it's the Jordan Aquifer that a lot of the Midwest uses, especially the Plain States, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, that's been running dry. And of course, we're in drought conditions, so it's not been refilling either. No, it hasn't been refilling. And and sooner or later, I was going, if this continues, I was going to look like Western Kansas and we're going to be irrigating. Right. And, uh, or growing cotton, you know, and but the, and cotton needs a lot of water, but yeah, uh, the raccoon is really down. I drove over it over the weekend, really down. Uh, Natumwa, I noticed that uh, the river was way down. The it's the city of bridges, right, Atumwa? Well, it almost doesn't need bridges. I was just going to say, soon almost, enough, you'll just be able to walk right across. Yeah, well, in the, below the dam, it, it was a mess. I mean, there was some 
puddles of water, but there wasn't much water below the dam, which means there's not a lot downstream from a tumla. So if you've got, you know, if you draw your weekend or your drinking supply from the Des Moines River and you're south of the tumla, you're in trouble already. Right. And even the Mississippi River is basically a trickle compared to what it has yeah. been in the past down in the Gulf of Mexico. So yeah, this is absolutely. this is a, a regional issue and really a national issue. And another thing that Futurism.com pointed out, Microsoft increased worldwide water consumption by a whopping 34%, just them themselves, up to almost 1.7 billion gallons annually last year, just last year, which outside researchers told the AP is most likely due to increased AI training. And that's actually dwarfed by Google, which uses 5.6 billion gallons last year. Yeah. So five times as much as Microsoft. Yeah. And they thought that we had plenty of water. And it's just getting worse and worse. The Jordan just keeps getting, you know, more and more empty and not refilling. And we aren't getting all the snowpack that we need. Nobody is. And And we're also paying, at least in the state of Iowa, we're basically paying Microsoft to take all of our water. They're getting all these tax incentives to the point where we literally are basically just paying them to do business in in our state. Yeah. They're paying very little in property taxes because we've written them off. And they have very few employees. Yeah, they only have like 50 employees because it's just a big box with a bunch of servers in it. Yeah. So they've got a few engineers in there to make sure that things run correctly, and that's about it. Yeah. It's not a good deal. Although I do like chat GPT, and, you know, that's the problem. We like it. We want to consume. Well, see, that's a good point because here at the end it'll say... Futurism says, and you'll recall that ChatGPT wasn't even publicly released until the end of November, with AIU spiking enormously this year. So those figures are likely only the tip of the iceberg. Yep. Don't move south of the Tumla. Yeah, no kidding. Moving on. I mean, there's really not much to say about it other than, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> So we avoided a government shutdown. Iowa legislators helped avoid that government shutdown. No, they didn't. We can't give them any credit. We can't give them any credit at all. And they're going to act like it was a victory. Did you hear uh, uh, Speaker McCarthy this morning saying that, that, that it was all at risk because the Democrats did everything they could do to stop you know, us from, from, uh, from passing the resolution. He's blaming the Democrats. No, they don't get any credit. Zach Nunn had a ridiculous editorial in the Des Moines Register. Sort of, can't we all just get along? It's the extremes on both sides. It's the Freedom Caucus. Don't give them any credit. They don't deserve any credit for taking us to the edge and then doing what they should have done months ago. No credit for them. None. Okay. For any of them, except for Grassley, because he said it was idiotic a long time ago. Give Grassley some credit. All right. We'll give Grassley a little bit of credit on the Iowa Revolution podcast. Nobody else gets any credit. I apologize for even attempting to give any of the Republicans credit. You're one, a nice guy. One of the big things, one of the big holdups was, and I know how you feel about this, but was funding for Ukraine. Yeah. And... It looks like they're still going to get the funding. It will just be in a different bill. Well, let's hope so, because this Republican weak need of support for Ukraine is all pro-Putin. And it's just... It's like a continuation of like the 2015-2016 Facebook bots, where it's hard to even tell, is that a real person or is this a Russian bot? Because they're all just repeating what... 
Putin and the Russians want them to say. Well, and, and I, uh, oh, maybe in 20, hmm, 2019, I spoke at the Chicago Council of Global Affairs, and I met a, a member of the Russian, or a member of the Russian, a member of the German, and a member of the French consulate, and we keep in touch because they want to know what's happening in Iowa, and if we, and they are very concerned that Republicans will gain control, and that um, they will. Uh, defund our effort for Ukraine and that other countries in Europe will fall and also that it'll encourage Taiwan. So they're not saying anything, you know, publicly, but in private, there's real concerns from our allies in Germany and France about us, you know, folding in Ukraine because if, if Putin hangs on to the 2024 election and Trump becomes president or, you know, some of the Republicans are standing strong on support Nikki Haley in particular. Mike Pence is, um, Ron DeSantis waffles on it. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy would end funding day one. I mean, how ridiculous. This is just, you know, you know, and they were doing it 75 years after Neville Chamberlain appeased Hitler, you know. So, no, it's... It's ridiculous, and it and they put this false dichotomy. Oh, we need to, to you know, close our own border first and then help Ukraine. Well, we can, you know, they're both difficult problems. Solving the border crisis is a difficult problem. It'd be made easier if Republicans actually wanted to do it rather than just use it as a talking point. They want the they want the border to be a, you know, a topic of discussion, but. No, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's, it's like we've spent like 5% of our defense budget on helping Ukraine, and it, and it keeps us from having American boots on the ground. Should they, if, should they invade a NATO country like Poland, then it's, you know, that is a NATO country. We have obligations. There will be American troops on the ground so we can spend 5% of our defense budget, which is bloated anyway, and let the Ukrainians do the fighting and stay out of it and, and save Europe and democracy. But the Republicans, who are never concerned about budget deficits, when they're in power, Trump rolled together the greatest deficit in history you know, twice the deficit that Obama did in two terms. And so they're not interested. It's just a talking point. And it's it's ridiculous. We need to stand by Ukraine. What are the consequences if we don't? Well, Poland will be invaded, perhaps. Or Moldova. You know, who knows where they'll go next. Some Poland's pretty tough. But, yeah, who knows? They will... Putin wants at all. And so he's, you know, just wants more and more land. And uh, he's willing to, to breach sovereign borders to get it. And then, you know, once, once we appease Putin, we'll appease China too. I right. mean, China will be emboldened. Right. And do we want an emboldened China? No. Any vote for Trump, is a vote against democracy and against m many of the Republicans. I mean, if you're going to vote for a Republican, Nikki Haley 
is the person that will stand strong on our defense. Mike Pence is worthless, even though he has the right position, but Nikki Haley is the is the person to get behind. Strong defense knows her stuff. Mike Pence said during one of the, I think it was the first debate, all this talk about how you said it's a false dichotomy of, okay, we can either fund the war in Ukraine or we can do X at home. And he just made the point of, America is not small. We can do all of these things. We have enough money. We have enough resources. And this is an important enough strategic country for us to have to support them. Agreed. So just to recap, we are not giving any Republicans any credit, but the continuing resolution will maintain fiscal year 2023 spending levels for the first 47 days of the 2024 federal fiscal year, plus $16 billion in disaster relief funds for FEMA, which is the amount the Biden administration requested. So we've got another 47 days before we go through all of this again. Yeah. And we give Grassley credit. We'll give Grassley a little bit of credit. They did all, all of the Republicans did vote for that continuing resolution. That's just no credit, but them's the facts. Let's get on to your marathon weekend. We'll start with the good news. You spoke to the Dallas County Democrats. How are they doing up in Dallas County? They're doing great. That's a, it was a fun conversation. They're, uh, you know, working very hard to, um, you know, put Democrats in office. There were several legislators there, which was sort of fun. Um, it was just a very nice evening and just, I sort of went over the top, you know, just did what I do. So fire and brimstone, huh? Yeah, that's right. I was, you know, one person said that I reminded them of John the Baptist. Damn. Yeah, they need me in every county because I'm just, you know, I'm just me. Right. I'm unleashed. I don't have to worry <laughs> about, you know, consequences for, you know, telling the truth. And, you know, and it's just sort of sad. Many in the media, well, you know, we're sort of hampered by, oh, you know, uh, conservative ownership, conservative general managers, offending advertisers. And it's just like now, and it was getting harder and harder because of, you know, both sides of them. You can't act like there, you know, there's both sides anymore. Right. You're, well, I guess there is. You're for democracy or you're against it, but not. But the ideas, you know, aren't equally valid or right. valuable, and you know, we don't talk to flat earthers anymore. But. Well, it is ridiculous. I mean, I I work at a radio station, obviously, and we carry AP News, and even AP News will just play. I can't think of a specific example, but they'll just play or say what Trump or whatever Republicans said. And then they don't both sides it. They'll just say, well, Trump says he's not guilty. Well, right. You know what I mean? And then it's like, okay, of course he's going to say that. Why would you? I mean, my point is, why would you even play that? It doesn't matter what Trump says. Well, yeah, he shouldn't be getting the coverage that he is, acting like he's just a normal candidate. He's not a normal candidate. He's a threat to democracy and we need to be telling people that. This is Cock Talk, by the way. We're in the Cock Talk segment, talking some caucuses. You also went to the Polk County Steak Fry, and I'm guessing that was a different atmosphere than the Dallas County Democrats. Well, it was sort of similar, and incidentally, some of the Dallas County Democrats, uh, they, had been, they had volunteered at the Polk County Steak, Steak Fry. They were that dedicated. Tim Walls, governor of uh, 
of uh, Minnesota was the keynote speaker. He was nice. fantastic. You know, talked about how, how important our public schools are, how important is, it is to feed kids. And in, in Minnesota, they actually want to feed and support kids rather than demonize them like we do in Iowa. In Minnesota, they love their public school teachers. Republicans in Iowa despise them and seek to undermine everything that they do. And people are going to say, no, you're being over the top. That's hyperbole. It's not. They want our public schools to not work because then they can pour more money into private schools that will help per perpetuate their ideology. A quick aside, you may have seen that Rob Sand did some digging because there was a lot of talk about how public schools' administrative costs have skyrocketed over the past however long. And he found that that's simply not true. It's uh, risen lower than inflation, administrative costs, so paying for superintendents and principals and you know the management of schools. And teacher salaries have outpaced inflation. So teacher salaries are going up much higher than administrative costs. So that's basically just a boogeyman that Republicans right. try to say, well, we're giving all this money to public schools and they're just giving it all to their, you know, their superintendent and business manager and, and that and their athletic directors. Well, that was part of the argument why we got the vouchers. So the Republicans lied to us. They didn't even look at the data. They just made shit up, which yep. is what they do all the time. Yeah. So you also saw Trump speak in Ottumwa at the Bridgeview Center over the weekend. I guess just kind of recap what you saw, and I know that it was a pretty packed house. Well, was it? I mean, it was. I stood. I didn't go as a member of the press. I just went as a regular person, and I do that sometimes because it gives me access to more people, and I can just talk and and I do it. I stood outside in eighty-six degree weather with I'm thinking maybe three thousand people for over an hour and twenty minutes. It was hot. I was worried about some of the older people there, people on walkers. It was just, it was a big, you know, bit took a lot of endurance just to get in the door. I guess some people were, it didn't start till like 2.30 and some people were in the center at 7.30. Well, they were lining up, they didn't let them in yet. But it was a huge crowd, it was an enthusiastic crowd. Um, talked to a lot of people. It's. Um, it's a very interesting event. There's nothing like it anywhere on the Democratic side. It, and I'm going to be writing about it for Deep Midwest, but it's, it's, it's a rite of intensification. It's like let's, how you have a wedding. Let's say, let's just talk about weddings and any kind of rite of passage. And so you're separated, bride and groom separated. And then everybody comes together. And so you leave your normal world and then you come together in a, in a third space. So everybody from all over, there are people from, I saw a place from Colorado, from um, Nebraska, from Missouri. I mean, the people from all over, probably every Iowa county. And so you come together and you come together wearing your ritualistic garb, your, so you're wearing your Trump stuff and you're trying to out Trump Trump. And so you've got all this you know, Trump gear. And so what this is, is essentially cosplay. Yeah. And so you're there, you're with like-minded people. You can say anything you want. They just feel like, you know, they're in a sanctuary. And then you get in there and uh, it's like the circus. 
and there's rip-roaring speeches, then a break, and music. You have to, you're in there in this rite of passage, and you're, you, want your, you want to heighten the emotions of the people. And so the music is there, and everybody's having fun, and they're dancing and high-fiving. The only thing that's missing is alcohol or drugs. I mean, cross-culturally, this is how this all plays out across cultures. So you want to heighten your feelings, heighten the emotions, fire your endorphins, bond with the people next to you, love on one another. And then, then all of a sudden, here we are. Here's the mighty man himself who appears larger <laughs> than life on stage and goes up and and does a lot of mocking. I mean, we know he, you know, he mocks Biden, he mocks and so mocking is an interesting kind of sociological phenomenon because what it does is it so trivializes when you mock something, let's just say, you know, um, electric vehicles. You make them ridiculous, then it's hard to put, put, then it's hard to make a ra have a rational discussion once it's once something or somebody has been so thoroughly mocked, and so it just sort of it's this interesting intellectual shift from something to discuss to something to reject that's so silly. And so mocking is a big part of what Trump does: mock the press, mock Biden, mock Democrats, call them names, call them Marxists. And so you position them as the other, and you make people hate them. And 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 so he's at the center of, you know, this group of people that just adore him. And then, you know, he, they just don't play the music, and he comes out. They play the music, and he comes out, and he stands there smiling, looking at everybody until, you know, God bless the USA is completely through. So he'll stand there in adoration, waiting to the song to end, looking out and smiling at people. And it's, it's this... And so you just keep, you know, hearing the words, God bless the USA, and there's your object of idolatry right there. I talked to a girl that said, if I get to shake his hand, I'll never wash it again. Women were weeping. Men were yelling, I love you, Donald Trump. And it was just this amazing cultural phenomenon that was very frightening. It's almost like, what you hear about old barnstorming pastors, you know, where they yeah, used to have thing. those, um, like revivals, you know, where they have big tents set up, and it it is where you're almost looking for that orgasmic response, ecstatic response, yeah. yeah. And so then they wrap the flag in it, patriotism, guns. It's this whole package. It's this incredible juggernaut of all intertwined kind of ideas that when you start pulling one of them, start pulling at the threads, they won't let you pull at the threads. It's such that um, Colin Kaepernick, he can't even take a, a knee or he's, you know, just demonized. It ended his NFL career unless he catches on with the Jets. But so you can't even tug on the fabric of that or the, you know, whatever the juggernaut is composed of because you're, you're sort of, by doing that, you're undermining the whole thing, which is God, country, family, guns. And Trump. And Trump. And he's at the center of it. So those are their feelings. What was your feeling? How did you feel being in that crowd, hearing him speak? Um, well, it's just, I'm an anthropologist. 
and I just like to so study. So it's interesting to you. Yeah, it's very interesting. And you then, are a born people watcher. Yeah. And I heard some really interesting things. One of the, uh, there's a couple things I really want to share. A woman in front of me and her husband, obviously well off, they were asked by, you know, they, I've got some, see, I'm a radio guy like you, and so when interesting things happen, you turn on your recorder. Mm-hmm. And this, there's a couple of different, you know, conservative news outlets were talking to this man and this woman, and then they said to the woman, now, what do you think about abortion? And she just stiffened. And she said, well, I was pro-life. And then my daughter got into a situation where we had to do something. But I'm pro-life. But so she's... <laughs> she's wow. Yeah, so she's pro-life except when it was her daughter right. that needed the abortion. Of course. And she was just pretty traumatized by it. Her husband, who I picked up, wasn't the father of the girl. Mm-hmm. He had to comfort her, you know, because she was so upset by it, you know, which was, you know, troubling, but hypocritical. Exactly. It's hard to feel bad for her when she would deny that right to everybody else's child. Right. And very well-off woman. Well, that's the thing. Many of these, that's the thing. Many of these people, these Republican women, they wouldn't have to worry about getting an abortion. They would have enough money to have it done. Either they'd go to another state, they'd get a plane ticket, they'd go to fucking Canada if they had to. They could afford to go somewhere to have it done. Right. And they would. Right. But she's still pro Donald Trump. Right. So you mentioned that's one. What was the other? Well, the other one was I left a little early because I've. This is like my eighth or ninth Trump thing. Sure. <laughs> you've seen one. You've pretty much seen them all. And I, and I left to avoid the crowd and, you know, to get out of there. And, you know, I'd already spent most of my weekend <laughs> away from home. And I do have some duties at home to <laughs> right. do. Yeah. Even, yeah. So anyway, that's another topic. But <laughs> so I'm leaving and there's this woman standing by the bridge. And she's got a sheet of paper, and all it says up and down is love, L-O-V-E. And so I stopped, and I talked to her. I said, are you protesting? And she said, no, I'm just standing here with love, and because I want people to love one another. And I said, well, I just left that, and there wasn't a lot of love in there. And she starts weeping, you know, she was, you know, when I first t- talked to her about what she was doing, she just started weeping, and she's a school bus driver, and she says, my kids are from all, and I'm going to write about this, I'm going to, I have pr- permission to use her photo, I have permission to use her voice, she told me some other things that she asked me not to say that I would love to say, but I won't, but she doesn't understand how her kids on her bus, she was formerly a teacher, but then because of medical kinds of things in her family, she had to be a caretaker too. And so she ended up just being a bus driver now. Thank her for teaching and driving a bus. But she said, how they can hate my kids? I just don't understand it. And she's all teary-eyed and she was weeping. I forget when she stopped weeping and when she started. But she loves those children on her school bus. She loves those children. And the people inside, there's a lot of hate there. I'm sure they love their children, but they don't understand 
what's going on with these children of immigrants, that they are children. The trans kids are children. The gay kids are children. And it doesn't matter what age it is, but it's children. She was weeping for her children. A school bus driver standing there, you know, 86 degree heat with love, holding up a sign called love. And then here comes these Trump trucks, flags on the back, young men in the back yelling at her, fuck Joe Biden. And so, you know, I think one of those is in my cut that I got from her, and she just smiles and waves. And young men going by a woman with, and they have Trump flags, going by a woman yelling, fuck Joe Biden to a woman that has love on her, on a piece of paper holding it to her chest. What kind of sick culture raised those boys to do that? We wouldn't have done that. Most people I know wouldn't have done that, but there's a segment of society that tells those boys that's okay. And a lot of them were inside that building. And so something is fundamentally wrong with that culture that thinks that mocking everybody is okay. And this, it was, and she said that people, that what she hoped was that people inside would turn to their faith and remind themselves what it, what it is. And so one lone person, one courageous bus driver said love in a circus of 3,000 people that were applauding hate. Their faith has now been replaced by Trump. We've yeah. discussed that yeah. previously. So I don't think there is much faith they're not patriots. to fall back on. No, they're not patriots, they're not conservatives, and they're not Christians. No. I mean, I hate to say that because Christianity is something that you're supposed to be able to identify, you know, that I am or I am not a Christian. You're supposed to be able to do that. But everything they show us shows that they are not. They're the antithesis, honestly. Yeah. It's not just unchristian, it's anti-Christian. But somehow they've been coerced by the money people. They've been hijacked by people that aren't Christians that have hijacked Christianity. And it's just nothing of what I remember from my Sunday school lesson about feeding the hungry, healing the sick, welcoming the stranger. It's all gone. kind of sucks to keep talking about Trump right now, but it is, I guess, sort of good news. The Trump Organization trial begins today. We're recording on Monday. We're a day early this week. We'll hopefully be back to our regular schedule Wednesday morning podcast starting next week. But this is from CNN. Former President Donald Trump will be in attendance today in a New York courtroom for the start of the civil fraud trial against him, his eldest sons, their companies, and Trump Organization executives. Opening statements in the civil trial over inflated assets and fraudulent financial statements come less than a week after a shocking ruling by Judge Arthur Engeron that found Trump and his co-defendants are liable for, quote, persistent and repeated fraud. The ruling was a significant victory for New York Attorney General Letitia James, who brought the $250 million lawsuit last September, alleging that Trump and his co-defendants committed repeated fraud in inflating assets on financial statements to get better terms on commercial real estate loans and insurance policies. Policies. 
Trump inflated his net worth by as much as $3.6 billion in three separate years between 2011 and 2021, according to the Attorney General's office. Attorneys for Trump have refuted the claims, arguing that asset valuations are highly subjective and that they are still sorting through what the ruling means for the company's future. The judge canceled the business certifications of the Trump entities that are defendants in the case, including the Trump organization. A receiver must now be put in place to, quote, manage the dissolution of corporate entities per the order. Questions remain as how the receiver would dissolve the properties, whether the ruling would impact properties outside of New York State, including Mar-a-Lago, and whether the Trumps could transfer the New York-based assets into a new company out of state. So, long story short, the Trump organization will most likely cease to exist. That's a good thing. And the thing is, you know, they're arguing that real estate evaluations are subjective, and that's true. But there's nothing subjective about exaggerating the size of your Manhattan uh, apartment or whatever condo, whatever they call them, by three times or four times. That's called math. That's called (laughs) measurement. That's called fact. That's not called, you know speculation or you know differences of opinion it's matter of inches and feet and it's a lie to you know try to get more money and and misrepresent your properties so there there is some you know things that you know are a bit of speculation and real my guess is he doesn't own shit anyway he's leveraged to the freaking hilt i guarantee that 250 million dollar lawsuit if he loses that he cannot pay that in cash Unless they force him to sell, and then he takes that money. But I guarantee all this is because he continuously says, I have all this real estate in New York City, in New Jersey, etc. So give me a loan for $200 million. And I bet you anything, he's done that many times on many properties. So there's probably four or five different creditors that can say they own... (laughs) The Trump Building or Trump Tower or whatever property, Bedminster in New Jersey, Mar-a-Lago in Florida. He doesn't own those outright, not even close. Yeah. How many mortgages do you think he has out on Mar-a-Lago? I don't know. I don't have any idea. I bet you it's not one. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, he's a fraud. And speaking of fraud, this leads us into this last talking point for our Cock Talk segment this week. So we mentioned right at the top, the second 2024 Republican presidential primary debate ended just as it began with former President Donald Trump, who hasn't yet appeared alongside his rivals on stage, as the party's dominant frontrunner. The seven GOP contenders in Wednesday night's showdown at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California, provided a handful of memorable moments, including former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley unloading what often seemed like the entire field's pent-up frustration with entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy. Quote, this is from Haley, Honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say, end quote. That's a great line. That was great. And it's a great gif already, gif if you want to call it that. But I have already seen that popping up on my Twitter timeline for just a great response gif. Yeah. Well, and the, the, She's kicking everybody's ass, yeah. by the way, on the debate stage. But she lost points after the debate. And Trump went up in the yeah. national polls. And this pussy is not even there. Yeah. it's uh, The problem is that this is all performance and it's you know it makes me you know 
ache for the old days when Republicans would come and they would talk policy. Yeah. And you could talk about real life things. And now it's just, you know, racist, um, woke, anti-woke stuff. And it's just, the, the main problem is that they've become boring. Hearing the same stuff over and over is boring. Yeah. And Tim Scott, who I used to think had a chance, is just so shallow. Hitting Nikki Haley over drapes. They're talking about drapes, and it's just ridiculous. And and it's they're just not interesting anymore. Here's another weird moment. So speaking of Tim Scott, he went from unequivocally stating that slavery was bad for black people to then suggesting it wasn't as bad as President Lyndon B. Johnson's Great Society agenda, which included the creation of Medicare and Medicaid and a major increase in Social Security benefits. This is a quote from Tim Scott. Black families survived slavery. We survived poll taxes and literacy tests. We survived discrimination being woven into the laws of our country. What was hard to survive was Johnson's Great Society, where they decided to put money, where they decided to take the black father out of the household to get a check in the mail, and you can now measure that in unemployment and crime and devastation. Crazy. Pandering. Right. He's pandering, but it's just ridiculous. It's very odd. Yeah, but I mean, there is a... I I can say conservative thread discussion about this. Right. Hearing that from a white candidate would be one thing, but it is jarring to hear it from a black candidate. It's jarring to hear from anybody, but there is some conservative thought. No, I have heard those sentiments from just friends of mine before. So maybe not quite to the extent that Tim Scott did, but... There is that, as you said, thread through the conservative party that's come all the way since the 70s to today. For the past 50 years, they've been trying to get rid of Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security. And however they can word that to make it more appealing to voters, they're going to try. Yeah. And it's just a weird line for Tim Scott. And I can't believe anybody would vote for them. Medicare, Medicaid, you know, voting rights. You know, SNAP benefits. I mean, there's so many things that stabilize our society that are so important and they want to get rid of it. Yeah. So, and why people would vote for that? I have no idea. And Republicans are generally older voters, too. So they're yeah. kind of, yeah, going against their own constituency. Yeah. But that's, I guess, par for the course. They've been doing that forever and it doesn't seem to matter. I mean, Republican voters time after time are showing that they will vote against their own interests if they show that they hate the same people that those Republican voters hate. And the Republicans are, you know, effective at blaming the Democrats for it. Yeah. I mean, you, I can't tell you how many times I've heard current Iowa legislator, over in, David Young, over in Warren County, who when he was a congressman, tell people, I would never vote against... Um, um, funding insurance for pre-existing condi- conditions. He would say, I would never do that. The Democrats, and then the woman said, why are the Democrats saying you did? Because that's all the Democrats have are lies. And the fact of the matter is he voted against it, right. but he just seamlessly lied and, and looked sad for that woman. <laughs> you know, it was just ridiculous. Yeah, he's a prick anyway. Yeah. So let's get on to some good news, shall we? 
My Minnesota Twins are in the playoffs, starting as you're listening today. Tuesday, Wednesday, and possibly Thursday, they're going to be hosting the Toronto Blue Jays. The Twins have not won a playoff game, not just a playoff series, but they lost 18 straight playoff games. They've not won a playoff series since my freshman year in college in 2002 against the Oakland A's, against the Moneyball Oakland A's, funnily enough. So this is my year, man. This is the Twins' year. Well, really? I think I have a good feeling about well, this year's team. Well, so and we've got this series at home. We've got this series at home, all three games if needed. So it's a best two out of three. Hopefully, we just win the first two games and move on, and we would play the Texas Rangers, I believe, in the second round. Um, but I think we've got, first of all, we have one of the lowest ERAs, so we've got a really good pitching staff. Our first two guys, Sonny Gray and Pablo Lopez, are two of the better pitchers in the entire American League. And we've got several rookies that have come up since the All-Star break that are hitting the hell out of the ball. So it's kind of a different-looking team than we've had in past postseasons. And the number one thing is we're not playing the freaking New York Yankees. So that's also... Good news, because it seems like every single year we end up playing the Yankees or the Houston Astros. And get beaten. And get beat. So, what's your prediction then? I think we do get out of the first round. I think we actually have a decent chance to get out of the divisional round against the Rangers, but we would eventually have to run up against the probably the Baltimore Orioles, and they look like a machine right now. Wow. I think my prediction for the World Series is the Orioles versus the Braves. Okay, so they're not going. The Twins aren't going all the way. I don't want to make that prediction. No, we need to just win a playoff series first. Would you? And we have a lot of young, good players. A lot of these guys are signed into the next several years. So hopefully, this is just the first of many playoff berths in a row, and eventually, maybe we could get to a World Series. Haven't won one since 1991. I was eight years old. So you're due. I'm very much due. Hardly even remember. So I'll I'll cheer for the twins for you too. Maybe we can, you know, there'll be a rend in the fabric of the universe and they'll win. I feel like yeah, Zach Eulen, uh, one of my friends. Uh, he's normally a Cubs fan. They had a horrible last week of the regular season. They did not make the playoffs. So he's on the Twins bandwagon. So all of you listening right now, if you're looking for a team to root for in the postseason, we will welcome you with open arms on the Twins bandwagon. Go Twins. And more sports news, good news for the state of Iowa. There's a strong rumor right now that Iowa Speedway and Newton will host a NASCAR Cup race next year in 2024. Governor Reynolds is actually holding a press conference Today, Tuesday, as you're listening to this, to announce, quote, a new major sporting and entertainment event for 2024. Yeah, she'll take credit for it, won't she? She'll take all the credit for that. So we'll find out exactly when that will be on the schedule. Hopefully it's a multi-year partnership. Hopefully it's not just a one-off thing. But the Indy races at Iowa Speedway the last few years, they've done a doubleheader Saturday and Sunday races. Very well attended. They've had concerts to go along with it, and they've had Ed Sheeran and, I mean, just all sorts of major acts. Carrie Underwood, I think, has been there. Uh, Blake Shelton, Gwen Stefani. Let's bring Taylor Swift. I don't know. That would be pretty (laughs) amazing if they could get Taylor Swift. Yeah, but Governor Reynolds wouldn't want that. 
No, she's too left le- yeah. leaning. Yeah, they need a country music app. They'll probably get Jason Aldean to, to perform at the Iowa Speedway next year. He can yeah. do his small town song, whatever the hell that's called, yeah. or that Oliver Anthony weirdo. Um, anything else? No. All right, let's get on to the top five this week. I'm just week. basking in your joy of the twins. I'm excited. I'm very excited. Uh, 3.30 in the afternoon, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then Thursday it's scheduled for 3.30, but it depends on what happens with the other series. They might move it up. They might move it back into the prime time. But I'm fine with 3.30 starts. I'm off at 2, so come on, twins. All right, top five best novels set in Iowa. Again, I've not read any of these except for one. I've heard of all of them, though. So we'll go with number five, A Thousand Acres by Jane Smiley. That's a very good novel. Have you read it? Yeah, I read it. No, it's very good. Um, Iowa State researcher, you know, various love interests. and But then uh, for somebody that's not an Iowan, she pretty she attended the Iowa Writers Workshop, but she's not an Iowan, but she captured a general good Midwestern feel. For yeah, her. I believe won the Pulitzer Prize the yeah. year 2004. I it think was good, and it was one of those books that is really long, but still you don't want it to end sure. because you enjoy the characters so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, these are going on to my reading list. Number four is Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. It was another writer's workshop grad. Yeah. And I believe she's from Iowa, isn't she? Or maybe Nebraska. I think she's from the Midwest, but I'm not positive. I do know that she went to the University of Iowa. Yeah, she was a member of the writer's workshop. Mm -hmm. It was okay. You know, got a lot of literary praise. Right. But it was a little slow for me. Gotcha. Number three is The Bridges of Madison County by Robert James Waller. Well, you know, it was very much a success. Didn't get yeah, one of the best-selling books of last century. And, of yeah. course, made a major motion picture that was nominated for all sorts of Academy Awards and Golden Globes, etc. Yeah, and, you know, the literary... Elitist didn't like it. It was okay. It was seen as sort of superficial and cliched. Well, it's just sort of a love story, is yeah. it not? Yeah. So, yeah, those hoity-toity people in the ivory towers in New York want something a little bit more than a just a sappy love story, I think. Right. He was a UNI professor that came out of nowhere, so they were probably jealous. That's probably more so than even the content of the book, yeah. actually. Number two is Shoeless Joe by W.P. Kinsella. So now you can tell your Kinsella story. Well, just that he is... Uh, By the was, way, Field of Dreams is based on Shoeless yeah, Jones. So. It's a fantastic book. Everything that he does is fantastic. Um, Another writer's workshop grad. Yeah. Uh, Canadian. I actually did not know that, but he, uh, yeah, uh, grew well, up in Canada. And what's interesting about him is that, well, I spent many years working on the Navajo and Zuni reservations. Yeah. And there's a you know it's a whole different culture, and uh, it's really interesting. And once you participate in that culture, you see the world differently. I mean, even peripherally participating sure. in the culture. And he uh, worked on uh, one or two of the reservations in South Dakota, and so he's got reservation stories that just really resonate with me. But if you haven't lived on a reservation, you might not, you know, you might not see the meaning of that. They're like the the uh, series Reservoir Dogs about kids on a reservation. It's just... Reservation dogs. Reservation dogs. Yes. 
I mean, it's Reservoir Dogs is the Quentin Tarantino film. Yeah. Much different. Much different. <laughs> yeah. The Reservation Dogs is it's fantastic. I've heard it's very good. I've not watched it yet, but, but it's, I think it, it's on Hulu. Yeah, but if you, ha- it's fantastic no matter what. But there's so many little reservation references that you might not even catch if sure. you haven't lived on one. But so, yeah. So Kinsella has that other kind of literary. Oh, persona, you know, like Sherman Alexie has. I mean, being a Native American, you know, right. it's just, it's a whole different way of looking at the world. And yeah, so, you know, great work, fantastic. Uh, the next one is from The Best Writer I Know, and it's the only one of these books that I've read Deep Midwest by a certain Dr. Robert Leonard. Oh, thank you. It's not a novel. Eh, close enough. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate it. It's just really a love story about family and very much friends about and family um, and life. And yeah, Yellow Cab was more about. Uh, there is a little bit about your job, about your work in radio and stuff with Deep Midwest, but I do feel like it's a, a little bit more personal than Yellow Cab was. Yellow Cab was more stories about other people, whereas yeah. Deep Midwest was a little bit more focused on you and, and your family and friends. Yeah, and it was me getting reaccustomed to Iowa, which was so different from when I left and right. come back. And so it was me learning. Everything's yeah. about me learning. If you haven't read it before, you can get Deep Midwest at uh, Amazon, I believe. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's definitely worth the read. Poems, short stories... Um, yeah, not necessarily making, a novel. It's not like one narrative. Right. You're making me blush. You are blushing a yeah. little bit. So, enough. Good. You know, <laughs> you know one thing, that, one that should be on our list is What's Eating Gilbert Grape by Peter Hedges. Almost what, I, that was on the cutting room floor. That was OLI, just outside looking in. Yeah. I've not read that book, but I have seen the movie, and that's another fantastic yeah. movie. So. Yeah. Sort of. Uh, the beginning of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. It was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I think, his first Oscar nomination. I don't know. I think he did win for that. I'm pretty sure he won some remember, but he was just that. a boy. Right. Teenager. Yeah, I think he started off on, like, Growing Pains, but that was his first, like, major motion picture. So yeah. So that's a good one, too. Peter Hedges. Yeah. Yep, that's another good one, too. Definitely worth mentioning. Uh, what's next week? Oh, my goodness. Next week, what's next week? Um, boy, I knew I was supposed to think about this. <laughs> you have to do one thing. Yeah, one thing, one Dr. Bob, and it's all you have to do is just tell me what to do. The most interesting business in Iowa, sort of out of the realm of, okay. of you know, Predictability. I mean, just the most interesting business. Say the business that would be the most fun to run. Or, to be a or one that people may not uh, associate with Iowa, may not know that it's headquartered yeah. in Iowa. Yeah. Yeah, we'll figure something out. Yeah. So top five most interesting businesses in the state. And cool. why you'd want to work there. Okay. Deal. Anything else before we close up shop for episode 26? No, hard to believe, episode 26. In the books, make sure you follow on Substack. You can see that article about that Trump rally that uh, Dr. Bob will be cooking up for Deep Midwest here over the next week or two. You can also follow him on Cedar Creek Nature Notes. Again, Cedar Creek Nature Notes, that's on Substack. And that is no politics. It's just walking in the woods with Dr. Bob and seeing and hearing what he sees and hears. 
You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Iowa Revolution. You can follow us on Facebook. Same thing, Iowa Revolution. And we'll be back again, hopefully from here on out for a while, we'll be back to our normal Wednesday morning drop. And if you're not yet subscribed to our Substack Iowa Revolution, we would, of course, encourage you to do so. And also share that with your friends. If you get that in your email, just forward that along to uh, whether they're like-minded or not. They might just enjoy um, listening to Iowa-based commentary. So, Dr. Bob, it's always fun. We'll see you again next week. Looking forward to it. <laughs>